We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. It's Elliot. Just a quick note before the podcast gets started. We had some audio issues today. I had some throat issues, and it produced a first... 35 or 40 minutes or so that aren't the best on the ears, so I apologize about that. What I am going to do uh, in return is promise you that the next pod will be audio dynamite. It will be so good that uh, tears will be streaming down your face, not just from the quality of the content, but from the quality of the audio as well. So uh, my sincere apologies. I hope the podcast is still listenable, but I will warn you that the uh, the first section with me, Clive and Paul, isn't ideal audio-wise. There's a later section with me and Mark Thompson about Gabrielle that should be no problem. So uh, here's the pod. I hope you like it. We'll make it up to you on the next one. What's a Alexis Sanchez reported blubbering about how he regretted his move to Manchester United after just one training session. He then pulled out a million-pound note and blew his nose into it. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. I don't know if you've seen the video. Uh, Alexis Sanchez claims to have known after one training session that he regretted leaving Arsenal. Uh, and I, I feel for him. I hope that the 500,000 pounds per week uh, was some solace. Maybe was able to take additional piano lessons. Get a dog trainer or two. I'm sure he found some way to get by. But uh, yeah, you know, maybe maybe just stay with Arsenal. Maybe make less money, <laughs> he said laughing. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Slow pause. Maybe give the ball away less. Oh, for Woo-hoo. God's sake. We're going to do it. Let's relitigate <laughs> that. Let's do that. That'll be our pod for today. Clive's on Twitter. Clive BFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Mark Thompson at everyteam underscore Mark <clears throat> coming up uh, at the end of this section with a bit of a scouting report on... Gabriel Magalhaes. Magalhaes. I love saying it. Uh, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. I did some terrible uh, questions, but he did some 
fantastic answers. So it all worked out in the end. Let's get on to the news of the day, friends. We're going to talk a little bit of transfer rumors. It's not a ton happening um, as I think all of us sort of bite our nails in anticipation of the Tiago Coutinho party and uh, our signings to be announced. Interestingly, I'm going to just ask you something, Paul, that uh, we didn't even discuss pre-podcast is something we were going to discuss, but it just jumped into my mind. Are you at all curious as to what the holdup is with an Aubameyang announcement? Do you have any concern that maybe it's not going to happen? Maybe that we're changing our mind? Maybe let him leave for free next summer? Maybe it's not a priority because both parties know it's going to get done and they're not urgently doing like what what's your read on why this thing that was supposed to be announced any minute uh has in many minutes not been announced yeah it's definitely a bit odd um am i worried i don't think so um based on his grinning face in the um training photos uh every you know willie came to town he said he was going to come in he couldn't say why blah 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 i know it all feels very positive vibe so i guess it can only go in one direction from there. Uh, so it's either a signing or it goes bad. So I guess there is some concern. It can't, it can't be on a more positive trend. Um, it's weird, though. I can't think of a reason they're not doing it um, unless somebody else has got something. But maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, nothing's that easy to arrange in these COVID times of getting people together and, and uh, maybe... Jarabchians had back-to-back barbecues in his place and they just can't free up the spot for him. I don't know. It, it, it is a little odd. On the other hand, you know, uh, perhaps we've all just taken it as it, it's going to happen when it's going to happen and even Arsenal don't feel... They'd rather do it uh, well, exciting with a big splash and it's more about timing than it is about getting it done quick because everybody's kind of... We're all, we've all kind of settled into the ideas coming. There's no, there's no, uh, I guess the one thing you'd say is Arsenal don't really have any bodies they need to cover up at the moment. No, no bad vibes, no negativities. There's no reason for them to rush it apart from we do seem to take a long time to do these things. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things at play here, right? I mean, is it possible that KSE wants us to shift some of the big earners to make room for what we're going to put Aubameyang on. Is there a discussion oh, about how to resolve the Ozil situation? Is there, you know, a potential departure for someone like Kolasinac? You know, Mkhitaryan's leaving. These are guys that are on relatively big wages that would free up room. Are they trying to evaluate who the incomings are going to be and what their wages need to be to keep the wage bill kind of all balanced and, and put together? It's a, it's a big jigsaw puzzle, and there are a lot of pieces still to fall into place. I, I think... It is redolent to me a bit of the Alexis and Ozil summer where we didn't sell either. Alexis winds up going in a swap in January and Ozil winds up getting the big new deal in January as well. There is no need for us to sign him right now, I suppose. And maybe the benefit of kicking the can down the road is it's a few more months. You don't have to pay him 250, 280,000 pounds a week. Um, You know, he does have another year on the deal. Is it possible, Clive, that they're looking at this and saying, you know what? One more year of Aubameyang on these wages and losing him for free might be better than three more years of Aubameyang on 270, 280, 290 a week. I mean, is there is there possibly a rethink going on here? Is it balancing the all of the different wage needs and trying to piece them together? Or is it simply that this is going to get done and it's 
just a process that's taking a bit longer than we think. What's your what's your read on this? Because I think there are a variety of angles the club could be taking. And with Raul gone, it's also possible that the thinking on it has changed as well. It's possible. I, I don't believe it is. I, I just think it's about announcing and the final you know, crossing of the teeth and dotting of the eyes and choosing when to send out some news, spacing it away from the Gabriel signing, spacing it away from Sabayas re-signing and Aubameyang re-signing. I'm sure before we start the league season that will be announced. I'm sure that the details are done. You can tell by the lack of rumours there are around him going to another club, which means other clubs have been shut down. Right, so um, because he's going to stay and everything that you see, read, here, and we are we're all we're all the same. We're all, we're all the same as fans. We look at all the pictures. We follow all the same ITKs. So we know exactly what's out there than the rumours, etc. So yeah, for me, it's a it's a done deal. Elliot, you're you're naturally suspicious, right? So uh-huh. I'm often yep. naturally just ask my wife. Suspicious. That's why I have all that spyware on her phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. And uh, what worries me is that on many occasions, <laughs> you, you are correct. On this one, um, you're probably you're a little wrong. bit sensitive. You're, wrong. <laughs> you're a little bit sensitive due to your love for the player, and you're probably thinking, why isn't it done? Well, they don't have to suit us. And if there's different things with family coming over and promotional videos, and anyone who comes over has got to wait a week or so before we can get them to do anything. It's just a very complex time at the moment. So I wouldn't worry too much. It's just a matter of... If, when, not if, that makes sense. Yeah, well, and to be clear, I'm the idiot who's not convinced that signing him is 100% right. I I still think there's downside that we may be looking at, um, you know, in two years, wondering if we made the right move. It's weird to me just because I think people act like we either sign him or we lose him. And Mm. there is a third option, which is, if there's no good offer for him, are you better having Aubameyang for one season on relatively reasonable wages? Or are you better off having Aubameyang for three more seasons, really into the mid-30s, on very, very big wages? And I don't think, Paul, it's, you know, look, in general, I don't believe you should lose assets for free. I don't think that's good for you long term. But, you know, we do have to balance some wages. We... we uh, I think it was on the Patreon pod. We did a, a totting up of the sales and the the purchases and how it could all work out. And I think we arrived at a conclusion where we could get Aouar, we could get Party. Uh, you know, they both could come. Um, and that didn't involve selling Aubameyang, obviously. It did involve selling Lacazette. It did involve selling, I believe it was Hector Bellerin or Maitland-Niles. I can't remember right off the top of my head. But what I would say, Paul, is that like, if you bring those guys in and your team looks pretty good and you don't have to raise Aubameyang's wages, and you keep him for one more season, and then next season, Ozil's wage is gone, Aubameyang's wage is gone, Mkhitaryan's wage is gone, Kolasinac's wage is gone, and you look around and you say, we've got another you know, million pounds a week to distribute, and a pretty good midfield now of all things, and maybe now you do need to make a splash for a striker, but you have the money to do it, and you know maybe Martinelli's developed a little more in Saka and so on. I mean, I am... I'm making an argument that I can't even say I totally believe in, but I think the idea that having Aubameyang for three more seasons or four more seasons into his mid-30s on huge wages, the idea that that is definitely better than one more season of Aubameyang on lower wages, I don't think it is definitely better. I don't think you can say definitively that where we're headed 
33-year-old Aubameyang is essential to get us there. Do I think he's essential yeah. for this season? He absolutely is. I will not dispute it, not even remotely. Is 32 and 33-year-old Aubameyang essential to getting us where we want to go on 280 a week or whatever it winds up being? I think that is a much more open question than people act. Am I crazy? Hand over the baton there. Um, so Sorry, I, think- I just kept kept adding to it. I just kept, kept adding to it. It's like one of those art projects Bob Ross used to do, and he'd be like, now we're going to add some happy clouds. I'm like, no, Bob, it's perfect. It's pre- oh, no, that looks good too. Um, so I, I think that of the three deals, the worst deal is is buying him and owning him for the next three plus years. I think the best deal is selling him. Really? So right now? You mean selling him right now is the best move for us? As a deal. Oh, oh okay. Best, yeah. Base A, we're, ha- we're halfway through our our, uh, our window and we got no other plan, plan to, uh, to replace him. So e- even if we'd started this window with a good plan, Arsenal's at where they're at. Arteta's Arsenal are at where they're at. He's all of our goals. We're so vulnerable it's just such a massive risk to the rest of the project to rip and replace Aubameyang and think you're going to take whatever. Maybe we got 35, 40 million for him. I mean, you can say he's worth 50 million, but with the weird market that's going on at the moment, and then maybe you don't get paid till the end of the window. The idea that you're going to find a smooth way to replace him pretty tough so so maybe the best option is if he's happy to be happy at arsenal to have him play for one more year and form forego the 35 million but not have to sign on to you know 300k for what's that three fifty you know 50 million um of extra costs by the time you put in some extra fees and shit I mean, it, it's it's a tough call. You could see why, at least Arteta, from Arteta's standpoint, at the end of the day, it's his money, but it's not his money. He'd lean for keeping the guy for three years. Uh, I, my gut feel is we'll get two very good years from him. Um, and that's probably, given where Arsenal's at, we're at where we're at, we're, especially in the middle of this window, I think you go for the three-year deal. But if you had your shit together, maybe you don't. You, maybe we're never going to get Timo Werner to replace him when we take that 35, 40 million. But if we had our shit together, um, it wasn't six months into Arteta's reign; it was a year and a half, and we knew where we were going with our with our team. But we've got a long way even to transition from our style of play. Um, there's just too much hardwired and softwired around Aubameyang. I don't think you can do it. It's too much risk. But as a deal on its own feet, um, I think this is the least uh, uh, w- least financial, medium long-term financially sensible way of spending our money. It's kind of a version of the Ozil thing, but hopefully without the Ozil... Well, that hopefully is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. You know what I mean? Because because obviously I, I agree with that. But I mean, I, I think Arsenal fans have talked themselves into the idea there's no way Aubameyang declines significantly during this next contract. And of course, I hope that's the case. Ruling it out entirely is silly. I mean, it's just, it's being a Pollyanna. Like, do I hope that he stays at this level for the duration of whatever contract we give him? Of course I do. But you have to acknowledge when you sign a guy who's 31 years old, to an extended deal on huge wages, you're 
you're at, you're taking on some risk, and we've seen it very, very recently. Now, what I would say, Clive, though, is just like, so let me put it this way. I know this is going to sound a little ridiculous because this summer isn't happening, but if I said to you that this summer we would sign Party, we would sign Awar, and we would sign Edward in addition to the Sabios loan. All right, but, we, but we wouldn't re-sign Aubameyang. We'd let him run his contract down, thereby losing his wage at the end of the season, losing Ozil's wage, losing you know all the other ones I named. And instead of having him on 280 a week you know, for the next three years or even four years, we have him one more year on a manageable wage, but we've got, you know, Edward, I'm not saying Edward is, is, is Aubameyang, but it's some succession planning. Would you take that summer, our party, Edward, and no new deal for Oba who plays his way to a free transfer at the end of the season. Would th- would that outcome be better in your mind for long-term Arsenal planning than party an hour, but re-signing over to a massive three- to four-year deal? But, but like, fa- financially, they don't balance out, do they? I mean, it's not... Um, They do if you look at the fact that, like, the, the incremental increase in Oba's wages would likely be more than Edward's entire wage, if you follow me. Um, yeah, but you get three, three players... For, for the one in your scenario. Versus two. I, I'm giving us our okay. party regardless. Okay. So I'm saying basically the incremental wage you would have put Oba on, you can get Edouard in. I have to figure out how you get the money for the transfer fee. But that, look, I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just asking Clive, is that outcome a longer term, better succession plan than the big deal for Oba? Yeah, it is from a succession planning point of view, but this is football. And every time I look at my, fo- at my TV screen... We've got the best striker in the league, and he's running through and scoring. Right, so in the end, that that feeling of having that player is really important. We were having a similar discussion on the Bayern Munich podcast, talking about Lewandowski. People think we're stupid, right? He's just he's core to everything that they are. He's their he's their totem pole. He's everything to them in a in a go forward. And so basically, for me. Football team has its uh, has its spreadsheet, it has its numbers, and it has its it has its emotional side, and it's and for me, Abamyang is critical to who we are, and what he does, what he delivers, and I actually think you know, you, you look at the downside. Obviously, again, Elliot, that's what you that's what you do. But I actually think he's improving <laughs> as a player. Gently put his own. Actually, if you look at it, if you look at it, he's improving. He is genuinely improving. He's becoming more ruthless. He's just as athletic. He's cleverer. He's he's been developing in different areas of the pitch, but before he just to run through like a Michael Owen straight over the top. Now he can keep the ball. Now he can time his arrival. This player is actually improving. You know, he's literally improving, and and he's doing that with us. And I think he's learning the game almost. Uh, and people say you can't learn the game. You got to learn this technique when you're younger. I got some absolutely rubbish days. Trust me, he's improved since he's been here. He's improved in his physical environment. He's more comfortable in more areas of the pitch. And he's turning into somebody with a stronger mentality. A mentality that I questioned at Baku even. I thought he was weak. I thought he didn't play well. I thought he was weak in big moments. Now he's turned that around a year later. Semi-final, final, community shield, big games, scores, delivers. I think he's only. I actually think he's going to get better for the next two years. And look around, Jamie Vardy, 33. He's just got a new contract at 33. Um, there are anomalies. I, I don't find this deal an issue at all. It's going to be at 250. He's going to be at 250 for three years, inclusive of his last year. 
in two years' time, we'll be at the door again with one year to go, and then he can go into the moonlight if he wants, or he can play out and, and go into a free transfer and go to Qatar or the US and really get his pension. So I'm not remotely worried. I think it's critical to get us back to the Champions League that we, we retain him. Mm, yeah. All right. Look, <clears throat> I don't know that I see it that way, but I, I love the player. So, like, am I happy emotionally for this player to stay for several more years? Absolutely. Am I convinced we won't have to look back on this negatively? I'm not convinced. I mean, this is the problem with having a nuanced debate. <clears throat> now it's going to be presented that, like, Elliot doesn't want us to re-sign Aubameyang. And <clears throat> I'm not saying that I don't want us to re-sign Aubameyang. I think what I'm saying is that I have concerns that this has more downside than is being represented. And I just think that that downside should be at least acknowledged and discussed because it's relevant. And I'm asking the... the sort you got two good years out of him, would you be happy? Yeah, uh, two good years out of him if we gave him a three-year deal. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably be happy. But again, I think it's fair to ask, if he's on 280000 a week and the third year isn't a good year... That that can hamstring you. So I don't I don't know. It depends where we are in our process. Let's um let's move on though. I mean we'll see how this plays out. I I just think that there's a world where having him this season, which we absolutely must do, but not committing beyond that could wind up looking right. But again, I love the player. Be happy to see him stay. Um, I do want to apologize. I know we're having some audio issues today, and I uh I don't have what what's the word the knowledge or know how to fix it uh, on the fly. So bear with us. We'll get it sorted out for the next time. So uh, let's talk about Hector Bellerin. And uh, uh, Clive, I'll stick with you for a second. Hector is a player I love emotionally. He's also a player I rate very highly. I think we have started to underrate him, and I think this always happens when a player's out with a long, long-term injury, and they come back, and they struggle a bit. But I think there are signs in the last few times we've seen him play that he's coming back closer to the level of his best. The frustration, I think, for people now is... They don't want to sell Ainsley Maitland-Niles, and that means we probably do have to sell Hector. We have three right backs. It doesn't make sense, you know, from a resource allocation standpoint, to be as bad as we are in midfield and hoarding right backs. We've got to make some moves. I mean, unless you think Maitland-Niles could be the solution in midfield, which there's been no indication we want to use him that way. So how do you feel about the, the links to PSG, the price that's quoted? Are we selling at the bottom of his value, or are you going to be disappointed? I know you've kind of hinted in the past that you'd be okay with letting go of Bellerin, but are we maybe giving away some value cheaply by selling him at this time? No, we got around 30 million. I think that's that's a fair price for me. I think um, I never worry about this. I've always felt when Cedric came in, everyone said, oh, Maitland-Niles is going. I felt for myself, you know, I felt that actually it was, it was never a sure thing. They wouldn't be Bellerin. I've always thought in the back of my mind that Bellerin may go. Um, because he's, you know, I just feel that he may want to try something different. I mean, he's been here since he was 16, it was eight years or so. He may want to try something different. And we've grown used to him and we all love him, etc. But he's been here a long time. And I ask myself, is he going to get significantly better? Um, if he stayed, I'd be happy. But is he going to get significantly better? I'm not so sure. Whereas Maitland Niles could get significantly better. You know, I think there's a there's a chance of that happening. There's a chance of him also plateauing. There's a chance that we get somebody else in. There's a young right back at PSV called Dumfries. I like the look of him. I'm not convinced that Hector or Maitland-Niles is for the long term. 
I do think at some point Maitland-Niles will need to be fixed. When we go from a back three to a back four in probably a few months' time, which is settled down our our new centre-backs, I think we'll be looking at a different right-back again, potentially. Somebody who's comfortable in the four consistently. And that may mean Maitland-Niles moves on. When his value has increased, when he's got an England cap next to his name, and it's rather than 50 million, it's 35, 40 million. And that's just the way things are. I'm not remotely worried. I'll, I'll be glad to see either of them go. But I know, given the state, given the financial state, and given everything we read, somebody we like is going to go. But who's it going to be? Is it going to be Hector? Is it going to be Lacazette? Is it going to be Maitland Niles? The, the ones with the best value are the ones that we like. It's as simple as that, and that's business. The ones that we don't like are the ones that are last out the door. They're the ones that go for four or five million. In an ideal world, we like all the rubbish ones to go first, or the ones we're done with. But that's not the way it works. The best ones go first. The ones with the most value, the ones with the most market attractability. Mm. So, um, so yeah. On Hector, I mean, I've, I don't want, not one of these people that says, oh, he's injured, he's lost his step, or the rest of it. He's fine. You know, he's got a big personality. He's a big ass player, big Arsenal man. He's absolutely fine. He could be part of this journey if and if it was allowed to be. But fiscally, we're in a position where that's being challenged. I think he's got some technical issues, but they're not insurmountable. They they do limit us slightly. But I also seen some things that he's really improved on in the last few months in particular. So it's not the end of the world either way. But, you know, we've just got to suck it up, mate. We need to do some stuff in the middle of our pitch. And to do that, we're going to have to turn some things around. We've got a free transfer in who's adequate, and we've got a chance to make 30 million quid, which we can use somewhere else. And that, to me, is smart business. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that the, the way our squad looks right now and the areas we need to strengthen, if we do need to raise money to strengthen, having Maitland-Niles, Bellerin, and Cedric doesn't make a lot of sense while we're starting El Nenny in central midfield, right? So I think we can all agree on that. I do think we are selling Maitland-Niles at a time when his value is the lowest it will be both because of COVID but also because of still sort of making his way back from injury. This is a guy who has a top one or two expected assist season on his record as a as a right back in the Premier League, two top 10 seasons for expected assists and XG buildup. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think he showed the promise of being someone super elite. I'm not sure that he's ever been super elite yet. Is that still in his locker? 25 coming back from a big injury. Some of this is how you project the player out. And a lot of this always comes down to player evaluation. I think Maitland-Niles has shown a lot defensively. Has he shown that he can be great against the smaller teams? That he can be a big part of, of an attack that works against smaller teams? I'm not sure that's the case. But, Paul, I will ask you, I mean, first of all, how much of a haircut do you think we're taking on Hector by selling this summer? And do you think that's okay? Do you think uh, if, if, it's, if, it's, if it is between Maitland-Niles and Hector, are you okay with it being Hector that, that leaves the club? I'm I'm going to uh, ask you, Paul, to to rejoin the conversation if possible, or not. Ah, okay. Sorry. All right. Sorry. 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 Um, uh, was, was it? Sorry. Are we disturbing up. you? I can, I can. You know. No, no I was okay. trying to fix the audio problem single-handedly by muting myself. I think I might have done too good a job. Okay. Um. Look, I think 
this summer in particular, this window is a lot about what the market will allow. And yeah, we get a say in it in terms of who we'd like to sell, but then there's which players are willing to go. And as as Clive says, uh, I guess I have this idea that Hector wants to see the world at some stage. Um, <clears throat> so he might just be up for it. Um, and then it's who can get sold in this market. Um, the, as as Clive talked about, there's all the players you like to sell, and then there's all the players the market wants to buy. And especially at Arsenal, those are different players. So to some degree, you have to take what you can get. I, I think thirty something for for Bellerin, uh, for all the reasons you uh, you laid out, might actually be reasonable in this market um, because. We don't know uh, if he can reach the ceiling that he had a couple of years ago, and we don't know if he can push any further than that. I do tend to think, and maybe it's it's because there's more white space to draw on there, that Maitland-Niles, his, his ceiling from where he's at uh, going forward is uh, there, there's a bigger gap there, and therefore more uh, value that we can put into that guy um, and when we say that he's maybe not a a player for a back four or against the big teams, I mean, you could argue that he's only just committed to the idea of being an, a, a wing-back, full-back under Arteta, and that he, if he stays, it's because he's... He, I, did, I never bought into the idea that he was refusing to play full-back or wing-back or saying he hated it. He just mentally thought it was kind of somewhere he was visiting rather than staying and living. Uh, If he stays, it's because he understands what Arteta's plans are for him. He can really bet into not just being able to cover his ass defensively and and, uh, uh, run in the wings, but actually learning how to attack into the attacking third. I mean, he he still has all the skills, Um, but he's never... he, He fancies himself as a bit of a winger, um, but it's been a few years since he's had the chance to play truly an attacking role or even a, the midfield role we fancy him for. But Arteta is the guy to work with Maitland-Niles in the final third. I mean, he's he, he's particularly good at uh, helping a player understand his final third responsibilities from wide, such as working with Raheem Sterling. I mean, he knows everything to tell uh, Maitland-Niles what to do when he gets into that final third and he doesn't have to do anything nearly as complicated as what Raheem Sterling had to do <clears throat> maybe he doesn't have those skill sets either in the final third but he could become a very effective uh, both ways up and down the wings uh, right full back or wing back for us where he just needs to fill in coolness calmness and having a straightforward plan as as to what he does when he gets into that final third I, I I think there's lots of potential for Maitland-Niles to to burst through the ceiling we perceive for him as a full-back, wing-back. And that would be really exciting to see. But I do sense that, that Bellerin's getting stronger, getting closer back to where he was. Um, so at the end of the day, I think we've screwed it up. We've got three potential right-back, full-backs when we only need two. Um how do we undo what we did during that January window? I'm not sure. What? How did we get to that? Uh, was that Maitland-Niles and his agent? Was it 
Arteta having the wrong idea about players and and being too firm on non-negotiables when he came in was it was it uh, the club uh, who had for whatever reasons the idea to get Cedric in I don't know we're at where we're at uh, we've got one fullback too many and we need some money yeah and I mean look I, I I think all of us would agree that Cedric is the worst of them and the one we need the least but we have him and we're signed on to him for the long term and, and- we don't want to be rude to him. No, I'm fine being rude to him. Um, he's just different. He's just different to the others. By yeah, different, you mean worthless? Not as good. Right? <laughs> worthless? Totally, <laughs> totally, completely I'm, worthless. Terrible move. Shouldn't have done it. Or no? Nope. No. Okay. Uh, so, not so look. <clears throat> I, I, I just the thing that's hard for me is I want to be able to express my Cedric opinion, and having kept it so close to the vest, I, I, I just hate being this circumspect about giving my opinion on things. But you know, um, what I would say with Hector is <clears throat> emotionally, if he went. I wouldn't like it. I like the player emotionally. As Clive always says, none of these guys have to stay really. Um, If the fee is right, selling him is fine with me as long as we use that money to strengthen areas where we have to. And that leads us to midfield. We have kept Cedric at the club for another... Not Cedric. As I die a little bit inside. We've kept Ceballos at the club. Clive, I I felt that... And I'm not a loan fan. I'm not a huge fan of loans. But I felt that in this case, we had to do everything in our power to keep this player at the club this coming season because the weakness in midfield, even if we make a purchase, was still going to be a problem. That we needed someone who was bedded in and could do the job that that um, Arteta needed to be done. I think he really moved past Shaka in Project Restart in terms of his importance in midfield and, and the way he kept things ticking over, progressing the ball. I, I just... Everything about the way he played for us in Project Restart said to me that we have to have this player back. So, given that it's a loan, do you have any any just sort of disappointment or frustration with the move being a little too short-term, or do you agree with me that it was a move we had to get done? I like the fact it's a loan. I, I, the player has grown on me. I, I sat here, and when Paul was eulogizing over him, I said to I criticize, you know, I criticize a player, and slap Paul's opinion back in his head, right? So I'm not going to say that I've always loved him. I haven't. But since restart, he's really improved and become more important. But I think he's changed. I think he's far more forward-thinking. I think he's far more challenging. He challenges people. And so, yeah, I, I've, I've seen a change in the player, and I, and I like the player. So, so but I'm, I'm not saying we should spend £30 million on him. You know, I'm not convinced that he's quick enough, that he's physical enough to take us to the next level. But he's, again, he's a player that does more things. I mean, you think about what else is happening. You think about Terraria, you think about Guendouzi, you think about El Nini. If Shaka is this important, we've got work to do. Because Shaka is a good player, a solid player, somebody we definitely rely on. But rely on him too much, I can barely think of a team without him in it. That's a concern because he has strengths and weaknesses, but his weaknesses are quite apparent. So, for me, we've you know we've got so much to do there that we can get a player that's on the way up, improving, that wants a player that feels aligned to the club. It just makes sense. We just take on no loan fee. We take on his wages, known to everybody. It just makes too much sense to ignore, given what's happening with Granduzzi and. What's going to happen with Terreira as well? And what will happen with El Nini? So we still got things to do. Maybe that's why Maitland-Niles is staying around, to maybe give some cover in there. Willett needs to be defined. 
as a player, is he going to be a, an attacking midfielder or a midfielder at the base? Not sure yet. People say he's going to go out on loan. If he goes out on loan, on what instructions is he going to go out on loan? We can't let him send him out on loan until he's defined or we send him to a club that defines him and brings him back to us as a certain type of player, whether a deep line player or an attacking midfield player behind a front line. So, you know, we've got so many things to define. So while we're defining them, Sobias is known, experienced, been to the club. It just makes sense to do it. But as you know, Elliot, there's other things we need to do. And Sobias is just the first of maybe two to three other steps for me. Yeah, I look, I think that um, the reason I felt Ceballos had to get done is without him, in terms of continuity, you've got Shaka, and that's really it. El Elneny, you could say, well, that's continuity. He hasn't been at the club, so he's not continuity. Um, you know, it, it would be really bare there in terms of having any continuity with what Arteta's been trying to build. And Ceballos moved into such a prominent role <clears throat> in the system we were using. So, I mean, Paul, I know you are excited for this move having been done. I guess, um, do you agree with Clive, actually, that maybe a loan is better than a permanent move, that the profile player maybe isn't exactly what we'd look for? I look at him as a really talented, just-turned-24-year-old, and I don't think you're ever making a huge mistake buying those guys. I mean, you look at Torreira and the rumors of his exit to add up, if you add up, you know, possible loan fee, I wish it was just a sale, but then the compulsory purchase fee, like to basically roughly breaking even on what we spent to bring him in. So I think when you buy these just early prime or pre-prime midfielders, you tend to get your money back unless you way overspend. So I I don't think there's much risk to buying him. I would have preferred that. But do you do you like the loan option maybe a little better, like Clive said? Yeah, I think it's a great deal. It's a re-loan, right? So it, basically you're getting him uh, – you've paid for his betting in period in the first first season – uh, that's the real problem with the loan. Um, we kind of wasted six months of his loan, and it's the problem with all loans. There's a strong risk they either don't work out or you lose, you piss away half of it just working out who he is or him settling in. This guy's ready to go, rock and roll. Um, he's for a team that wants to be ball dominant uh, and to be able to pull strings in midfield and push them back so we can push our, our ourselves up the pitch is a great option or maybe he's the option. Great accelerator of the ball. Um, he, I mean, he was getting better as the season went on. I don't see why he can't get better still. Um, and so what you want is a player who can come in and play alongside him and maybe a little more physical, can cover a little more space so that depending on who the opposition is, we have options to to uh, play 2-3 in midfield and keep Sabayos. Now you see I've had a... See what happens? Uh, we've had a year of alone with him, and, and this is the problem, right? You, you just can't commit to saying his name right. But um, he's... Uh, I, I think it's great that we got that locked in. I think he's the most exciting part of our midfield by a long way. Gives us all kinds of options. I like him a little, little better when he's playing from deep. The busier he is, the better he is. He's defensively really good, uh, very busy, but he can't cover as much space, obviously, and he doesn't have any recovery pace. So he, he needs a partner. Um, I like him with Chaka, but there are even better partners out for for him out there. Somebody like, uh, you know, I don't love the Partey deal, but 
I think he might be a very interesting option as a partner with Ceballos. Somebody with that kind of profile, he gives a bit more balance in the midfield, lots of mobility, cover the ground and uh, allow Danny to focus on doing what he does best, accelerating our play and our passing. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I just think there are times where you have to be pragmatic and there are times where you have to be strategic. This is more pragmatism than strategy, I think, in the sense that I don't know that a loan for this player solves any problem for us long-term. If he really excels and Zidane leaves Madrid, we probably can't get him in the summer next summer. Um, But from a continuity and pragmatism standpoint, I don't see how we achieve anything this season losing him, Uh, especially because while everybody's saying party and Al are, we're going to get both. It's not even guaranteed we're going to get one. And if the worst case scenario happens and we don't get either and you don't have Ceballos, your midfield ruins your season no matter what. And then you're in a position where you're like, we have a good front line, we, we strengthen the defense, and once again, we've let a major department go un, uh, unsolidified and, and now we're our season screwed. So Clive, I mean, do you see it that way that like anything we want to achieve this coming season, getting Ceballos back at least gives us a floor to operate on. That, that without him... You know, because you don't look, there's no guarantee we can get party or want party. There's no guarantee we get our. There's no guarantee we'll strengthen midfield at all. At least having Ceballos in the fold, you have a platform that, that makes the season have some opportunity, and without him, you don't. Can yeah, you complain if you're just paying his wages, I guess? I mean, I just think it's a really good deal. It's a free transfer. We're just paying somebody's wages. He's a, he's a Spanish international and has been at Real Madrid. Betty's been at Arsenal. Good player. Comes in, everyone knows him. He knows everybody. It's like it's not even worth even talk about. It's just like good work, Arsenal. Willian, free transfer, good work. You know, Cedric. You don't. Not everyone likes him. Free transfer. You know, there's some smart work going on here. It's all about the outgoings that make it look good. You know, in the end, that's what needs to happen. For me, we've got so many unknowns in midfield, haven't we? We've got, you know, Guendouzi, who's, I'm not sure why he's playing for France under-21s, but that's an absolutely massive game for him if he does play in that game because that's going to advertise him. We're all going to see if he can still play football. If he plays football really well, a market may develop for him. So that is a huge moment for him and a huge moment for the club. Torreira looks as though there's a little, I've read little things about relationship breakdown and with the manager and he's going to go back to Italy by the looks of it, just no matter which club. The money looks all right. So that's two young players that we potentially building our midfield around a year or so ago are going to disappear quite shortly. So we are in a rebuilding there. And I think everybody knows it's party and hour that we're all sort of interested in and we like. But the hour sort of rumour popped up two weeks ago and I wasn't thinking about him beforehand. And there could be other people that will pop up really quickly and the scenario changes. You know, don't, uh, I think there's there's another name out there that we potentially could be looking at and this could be a front for something else we could be doing. So things change really, really quickly in football and I just think, okay, we're getting all attached to these two players like we've already got them and our hopes are pinned on them. But there's lots and lots of players out there that can do similar things. Maybe not as well for me. Those two seem to fit perfectly. But I've managed to convince myself of that. I've only seen one. No, I've actually seen both of them live, actually. <laughs> I've seen both of them live. I liked Party immediately. 
while I thought it was a little bit small, but now watch the game again where I actually saw him live and he ripped us apart. <laughs> so I think I wasn't looking at him closely. So that is the type of players that we absolutely need to go to the next level. To be the team you that, that you've been screaming for, mm. those are the two perfect players. And I think, I hope it works out. And I've just got his feeling, I'll convince myself it is going to work out. So um, just a matter of how we get there and how quickly and... And how many things we, how many payments we can defer before they actually come on board? Well, I'll tell you what didn't work out this podcast because between the audio issues and me clearing my throat every three seconds, it's been a disaster. So I apologize for that. Uh, Mark Thompson is coming up next to give us a full scouting report on Gabriel Magalhaes, and uh, we will come back with a podcast in the future that will have such pristine audio quality that you will have an eargasm listening to it. That is my guarantee to you, dear listener, and my apology for. Uh, this effort, if you want to call it that. But we will say goodbye and then uh, be joined by Mark Thompson. So Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. We'll uh, take a short break, play some silly music, and come back with Mark right after this. Stay with us. <laughs> And now I am joined by Mark Thompson. Mark is a data analyst at 23Sport, and you can find him on Twitter at everyteam underscore Mark. Hello, Mark. Hey. Hey, so I am thrilled to have you on because you did an excellent scouting report of uh, Gabrielle Magaliais, and uh, you have informed me you will not be saying Gabrielle's last name, which is Magaliais, and I will be saying it <laughs> because I love saying it because Tim taught me, and now I'm going to say it constantly. It is the only uh, challenging pronunciation that I get right on this podcast. So let's start with this, Mark. Just from a strategy standpoint for Arsenal, uh, William Saliba in the fold. Pablo Marie was brought in uh, last January. Obviously, David Luiz is there. Some senior center backs who might be going, holding in chambers. Do you think, before we get into the actual scouting of Gabrielle, that the move from your standpoint made sense, uh, both short-term and long-term, in terms of what this team needed defensively? That is a good question. And I think that... So I think the most comparable situation is probably Manchester United from a few years ago, which may not be a comparison that you are happy with me making. But they had a situation where they had a bunch of kind of middling centre-backs for a really long time, and they never quite knew what to do with it, um, whether they should kind of stick with the middling centre-backs that they had or to go out and try and get like a really good one. And it seems to me like Arsenal have a bunch of centre-backs that are not completely uh, reliable. And I think that the right thing to do is to upgrade them with slightly more reliable options, even if that means that you have quite a lot uh, still in the squad. Mm. Well, first of all, I will tell you that having finished eighth, we can't turn our nose up at any comparison, let alone to a team that did finish in the Champions League places. So while I may bristle at a comparison to Manchester United, uh, currently I would swap places with them. Now, we did it a little differently. They decided to break world records on um, a guy who struggles to drag his head around the pitch uh, for 90 minutes. We chose a similarly large, although I would say uh, more strikingly attractive, uh, less giant-headed center back, well, both in Saliba and Gabriel. Um, when you look down the road at, at that pairing, and we'll get into sort of the granularity of, of what you think about Gabriel, but f for my money, what I see in 19-year-old Saliba and I believe 22-year-old Gabrielle is the future pairing that the club would like to have long-term. So 
do you believe that that is achievable, that in terms of Gabriel's ceiling and in terms of his partnership uh, with Saliba down the line, that, that that could be a formidable pairing for the long term? It certainly could be, but I feel like expecting two new signings to uh, be the centre-back pairing going forward is is like hopeful. And again, Manchester United, Phil Jones, Chris Smalling, <laughs> I've seen it go wrong before. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, that comparison I liked less. <laughs> um, so, so, well, let's get into Gabriel, and maybe we can start with the positives. What If he turns out to be sort of the world-class center back we've been craving alongside the other world-class center back, Saliba, obviously, um, what are the things about his game that you like, that you see as sort of his unique upside? Yeah, he's got this really good positional sense when he's around strikers or when strikers are around him which i think the the best way of uh describing it is kind of with a slightly odd metaphor where you know robots and trying to make robots that are like humans um one uncanny of the, valley <laughs> <laughs> one of the more difficult things from what i've read which isn't much so don't quote me on this is uh getting like them to hold things in the way that humans can do because in our hands, we have like an extraordinary amount of sensitivity and being able to properly gauge how much pressure we need to like pick up an egg or pick up a baby or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not evident when we do that because we're humans and we do it all the time. But when you see like a robot fail to do it, it's abundantly obvious. <laughs> <Okay>. and, <laughs> and so with center backs, when they don't have that kind of sensitivity to where they should position themselves around opponents you get things where they kind of let the forward drift a little bit too far away and then they have to kind of like rush up and maybe they don't get there in time or maybe they foul the player whereas with Gabriel I think he's just very good at gauging how far he needs to be away from opponents at any at any moment in time which I I Mm. think that that's his standout quality so just positioning generally like, I mean, yeah, it's specific, specifically around opponents. Mm-hmm. I think in open space, it's a little, it's not quite as superb, but mm-hmm. it's still kind of perfectly fine. Isn't that sort of like the absolute most fundamental quality to being an excellent center back, though? Like, I mean, because I, I think that in general, <clears throat> you know, you you see players who have all the attributes. They're quick. They can tackle. You know, they they're good in the air. But if they're not where they need to be none of those attributes really can benefit you. So, I mean, how how valuable is that? Is that something that, as a foundation, gives you room to really excel? Because I, I would certainly think that once you're positioned well, the rest of it is pretty straightforward. I mean, I, I've probably just oversimplified <laughs> the art of defending there massively. No, I think you're right. I, th- I think it's it's very foundationally good for him to have. And it it's his career has been interesting so far because I was reading some stuff about him and that he'd struggled to get game time at loan moves that he'd had, mm-hmm. um, which kind of makes it seem strange that he would go straight into the Lille team and kind of be a star and then get the move to Arsenal. But I think that maybe if he's someone who is maybe a little bit more raw in other areas, but he has this really superb foundational aspect in this one particular area then maybe in some systems that really shines through in ways that it doesn't in others. 
Mm. That's um, my suspicion. Okay. So, I mean, one thing about him, obviously, is just he's physically very imposing. So, I mean, how do you feel about the way he uses that big frame and, and translating that to the Premier League? I mean, it's not the sort of rough-and-tumble Premier League or English first division of years gone by, but do you... I mean, do you think that he uses that frame effectively and, and that, you know, is it going to show up most in, in set pieces? How do, you, how do you see that sort of trait of his um, showing up in, in the Premier League? Yeah, so one thing that I read, I think, in an athletic piece on him was the so someone saying that his heading ability hadn't been great, but it had been improving recently. And uh, watching him, I think that that's an impression that I yeah, because he's tall and he seems to judge the trajectory of the ball pretty well. Mm-hmm. But when he's competing with forwards, he isn't always as dominant as you might think his size would make him. But I, I certainly think that he's very good and he'll be able to handle himself perfectly well. One of the interesting things actually is that there are a few times when he was under pressure on the ball in, in matches where I was watching him where he um, he went down easily under pressure to win fouls mm-hmm. and he did so in a kind of realistic way rather than you know sometimes when defenders fall down to try and win fouls they look a bit like it's their first time doing it will but, he get those um, calls in the premier league though because sometimes i feel when you're really big and really strong you're just allowed to be totally mutilated by the opposition with no uh <laughs> no recourse <laughs> i th- i think he might have just to do it in a way where it looks realistic enough that he'll get it like I think that sometimes it can, it can go the other way as well. Where if the big guy goes down, then it must have been something big to to fell them. Like mm. small players sometimes get kicked around because they're only small and um, it doesn't take much to push them over. Whereas I, I think that he he shields the ball quite well and wins those fouls. Yeah. Okay, well, then, I mean, that could be good. I, I, I would obviously prefer he just sort of win the ball and distribute the ball cleanly <laughs> and not have to, like, buy a foul to get out of trouble, but I'll take it. <clears throat> um, in terms of pace, like, I mean, we, we have a guy in Pablo Marie who's very big and not very quick. And we had a guy in Per Mertesacker who's very big and not very quick. Uh, Mertesacker was exceptional in terms of his sort of positioning and his tactical understanding, and he was able to use that uh, at Arsenal to be really, I think, an elite center back right until the very end where it started to show up. But ideally, you'd like your center backs to have a little more pace, especially if they're going to be playing in a back three, potentially at times, stepping more into midfield and then having to chase back. So how do you feel about his pace? Can he, what what, what do they say? He moves well for a big man? Would would that be apt here? <laughs> yeah, I certainly don't think he's as slow as Mertesacker, so you don't have to worry about that. Um Maybe accelerating over the first couple of yards, he's he looks his size, but once he gets up to speed, it's yeah, he looks perfectly fine in that <clears throat> regard as well. Okay, so not a liability, certainly. I mean, you know, it doesn't no, have no, to no. be um, it doesn't have to be the you know the elite pace, but just not a liability, not a situation where he can't get back to cover the ground. Yeah, no, he won't be that. Mm. So. Then I mean one of the one of the things that has obviously been really super important under Arteta and is a characteristic of our game right now that I, I think is evolving really nicely is playing out from the back. Playing out from the back is having a moment in the Premier League period, but it's especially having a moment at Arsenal where a lot of our most memorable goals over the last several months have have come from that, especially against Chelsea, against City, against Liverpool and the Community Shield. And I think that 
we're a mixed bag there. Uh, you know, D- David Luiz is obviously very good at it. Um, there's some speculation that Pablo Marie is pretty good at it, though we haven't really seen enough of him to evaluate. Uh, William Saliba, I think, is thought of relatively highly for the way he uses the ball, um, although we'll probably find that out uh, anon. But in terms of Gabriel using the ball, I, I think I've read that there are some limitations there. But I've also kind of looked and seen that he distributed long, he distributed very progressively, and that when you're a progressive passer, obviously you're not going to complete it at the same rate that you might if you're just giving the safe ba- safe pass to your partner or back to the keeper. So how do you feel about him in terms of playing out from the back? Is he one for the long ball, or can he play the uh, the short possession football uh, on our way out to uh, beautiful back-to-front goals? <laughs> I think in France he there was a specific kind of like left-channel ball up to a forward trying to run in behind that uh, the team clearly tried to play. And so that's probably where that comes from. Um, he's a little bit one-footed, kind of more than the average. Um, I think on FB ref, uh, it's 93% of his passes are with his left foot. And the average for a player is about 85 to 88% with their dominant foot. Um, so, Is that if, true of lefties generally, by the way? Or do you know if there's if they tend to be more strong foot dominant in terms of not using their weaker foot? There was a Statsbomb article on it, and I can't remember if it was lefties uh, slightly more or slightly less, but it, for both feet, it's around that 85 to 88% range. Okay. Um, so a little bit more one-footed than average. Um, and so if you're thinking about like the elite teams coming up with pressing schemes, then maybe there's a possibility that teams will just kind of figure that out and try and force him onto his weaker foot at any opportunity. Um, but there is some talent there. I think I'm kind of like reticent to describe him as this ball playing center back, because I feel like a lot of center backs nowadays are able to play passes between the lines that maybe five or 10 years ago, we'd have, um, been kind of putting them straight into highlight reels because it was so unusual. Um, whereas now just the level of ball playing ability has risen quite a lot, but I, I think he'd certainly be able to fit into what Arteta is trying to do at Arsenal. Yeah. Cause like in my mind's eye, for example, when I think of Maguire, I think of a guy who has struggled with distribution and maybe that's cause there's been some high profile sort of comical moments for him, which I've loved and embraced. Um, <laughs> you know, so maybe I've got that wrong, but I mean, I think when you're playing out from the back, it doesn't have to be that you step up around a guy and then break lines with your pass. It can be that you're just, you can, give it first time to the nearest open man or that you can turn on the ball and, and give it to the midfielder standing in front of you. I mean, is he comfortable enough on the ball that he can sort of turn and distribute? It, I'm not as concerned about, you know, can he do what David Luiz does, which is, you know, the, the perfectly curved ball over the top to Aubameyang running in. I'm more concerned, can he take the ball under a little bit of pressure and distribute it safely, or is or is he going to, uh, for lack of a better word, shit the bed if he's <laughs> if he's pressurized at the back like that? No, he's 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 fine. He's calm. Can I'll take receive fine. the ball. <laughs> I will take fine. Um, it, yeah, that's kind of my general thought about Arsenal at the moment. That you will take fine, and he's definitely fine. Um, I've I've got a sort of final question coming up in just a bit. But before we get there, one thing I, I talked to Mohammed at Mo Squared on uh, Twitter. He does some some scouting, and and he gave us a, a little rundown on. Uh, on Gabriel for our, our Patreon side of things. And one thing he referenced, I'm just curious if you've seen this because I thought it was a really interesting description. He talked about like the fluidity of his hips 
and that he was a little stiff in the way he turned and the way he sort of pivoted in his defensive stance. And I'm curious if you've seen something similar show up when you watch him in the sense that like, I know you're, you're on the data side, so maybe it doesn't show up as much in your analysis and research, but like, do you see any like stiffness in the way he turns and moves and tries to defend situations? Or is that something that you haven't really observed? I think not stiffness, but I think given that he's such a big guy that if he has to kind of change direction quickly and like swing his body around, then it'll, it might take a bit like a split second longer than it would uh, a small nippy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that was what Muhammad was meaning, but, but yeah, he's, he seems fairly kind of fluid with his footwork and his body positioning and stuff. Um, what about the in the in the duels? I mean, I know in the air we talked about, but like, is he a go to ground guy? Is he mostly going to stay on his feet and challenge that way? I mean, one of the things that impressed me so much about Murdasacker, he had just an extraordinary record of not picking up cards for many many years. Um, he rarely went to ground. He used those long legs and his his tactical awareness to to really stay on his feet to ride the challenges and take the ball off people. I mean, is Saliba going to go into those challenges trying to use his big frame and push people off the ball? Is he going to nick it away from people with his feet? Is he going to go to ground and try to use that big frame to cover a lot of space? What's his What's his preferred way to snuff out fires, so to speak, when you know when he's got someone coming one-on-one against him? He seems to prefer to stand off guys and then wait for them to make a move or wait for them to make a mistake, mm-hmm. which uh, is a perfectly legitimate strategy to use. I think maybe sometimes he might hang back a little bit too much. Um, and I think Clive mentioned on a podcast that uh, he likes to go into the tackles with his left foot, which is definitely something that I spotted as well. And that can sometimes be a little bit of a problem if the if the forward goes around to kind of his right-hand side, then he'll try and swing his body around to go with the left foot. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's a bit more kind of cautious in that regard, staying on his feet. So let's start to get to the, to the finish line here with sort of what you expect from him this season and, and who should partner him and how he should play. I mean, he, if we do go with a back three, could you see him playing right away in Arsenal's back three on, on presumably the left side of David Luiz as the left-sided center back? That is a position that actually Tierney has taken up quite a bit with Maitland-Niles uh, outside of him or vice versa at times when they switch. Um, you know, obviously very, very different profiles there, but that's also been in big games against some of the bigger teams. I mean, I I sort of struggle to see these giants in Saliba and Marie and, and Gabriel being your sort of traditional outside center backs in a three, but I also don't know uh, football. So... <laughs> maybe you can uh, enlighten me here. I mean, how do you see, if we stick, first of all, if we stick with a back three, can you see him playing in that formation to the left of Louise right away? I, th- I think that you're right to be kind of like um, wary of someone of his size playing in that role. I mean, he would offer something hugely different to TNE um, on the left of a back three. I think he could play it, but you'd be kind of concerned about balls over the top probably in, in him having to turn and run back towards his goal and um, how quickly he'd be able to do that. Well, so he's going to be isolated. Um, Just some, something that you said that really registers for me. He's going to be isolated more against those players like a Mohamed Salah, you know, more of those 
tricky wide players. And, you know, based on what you said about standing off and, you know, maybe not getting turned as quickly, like, wouldn't he be playing against the kind of players that he'd be sort of most vulnerable to? Or am I uh, taking a bit of a leap there? No, that's a fair point. You would kind of worry about him being up against like a, a Mo Salah. Uh, I mean, any, anybody's worried about going up against a Mo Salah, but you get my <laughs> point, right? Any of these sort of wide players, whether it's a Pulisic type, a Mason Mount, a uh, Tony Marshall, you know, uh, any, any of those type of people, I mean, that that doesn't strike me as the kind of player you want him going head-to-head with. Yeah. He seems much more like a back-two centre-back in a slightly more slightly more traditional centre-back uh, mould and slightly more traditional role, I think. Mm. But I don't think I don't think he couldn't play there. I just think it's it's not what would suit him best. And given that you have Tierney, who's played pretty well in that role anyway, it may not be what would suit Arsenal best. Well, the other thing that that strikes me is that when we played in the back three at times, especially against the smaller teams, those outside center backs have really stepped up into midfield and been part of the possession there. You know, forming either a two behind the central midfielders or even sometimes going beyond them and. I can't imagine this is a player who wants to find himself on the other side of the halfway line, um, you know, exchanging passes with Granite Shaka. No, probably not. I mean, on the ball, he probably could, but in terms of the recovery running and all of that kind of thing, probably not. All right. Well, I mean, I obviously we'll see how that develops. I mean, we know that the back three is probably not Arteta's preferred system long term, but it has worked recently and there's no preseason. And the idea that it's just going to get. Uh, thrown away to start the new season seems far-fetched to me. So it'd be interesting to see how we try to incorporate him. Um, I mean, I, I guess it didn't even occur to me, but just real quick, I, not to over um, be overly tedious about back threes, but could he play that central center back role? I mean, is that too much responsibility for distribution and, and organizing? I don't think so. I think because the three means that you can share around the load of responsibility for the various tasks a bit more. Um, you could definitely, particularly with the amount of centre-backs that you have at the club, um, you could definitely come up with a, a combination of three players who would suit that kind of division of responsibilities pretty well. Well, you know the I old aphorism about centre-backs. They say if you have 43 of them, you don't have one. So that's true of us <laughs> right now. Um, well, sorry, I, I cut you off there, which is on brand for me, but go ahead. Uh, no, I think I'd finish my point anyway. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. So, so that's a point for me. Uh, all right. So last question in terms of his immediate future, do you see him being premier league level right now can come in, can improve the defense, or do you think that he will be a player who needs to be sort of nurtured through his first season and needs some time to develop? How, how integrated can he be? And is he ready for that? I think that he would be perfectly good coming into the side now. Um, There are kind of adaption issues and maybe like slight limitations and stuff that he would work on, but I don't have any, I I feel like I've been given an impression of being quite negative on him uh, (laughs) over the course of this conversation. And I think that he's like pretty good. Um, Everyone wants to be really excited about their transfers. And I think that he's one that you can be um, like low key excited about because he's he's young and he's perfectly good at the moment. Um, and I think that he could definitely do a job straight away. It's just about uh, 
who he's partnered with and how much you expect him to do being thrown in at the deep end. Mm. Okay. Well, I, I'm excited for him. I mean, do you, I, I like this deal. You know, I, I think the fact is like, just from a squad building standpoint, Mark, like, I don't know that spending this amount of money on a 22-year-old, big-bodied, sort of physically imposing center back is a big risk. You know, I, I have a hard time, even if he's not great in two years from now, we're looking at renegotiating the contract and we're like, you know what, maybe we're going to sell this guy. I don't see you taking a bath on this financially. So, I mean, just from a sort of squad building, long-range kind of um, project standpoint, do you think this is a good move and the kind of move that... that for Arsenal and where we are in our development is was right for us? Yeah, I think you're exactly right on that, that um, this transfer is unlikely to go badly, not not to jinx it, but um, I, I can't see a situation where he kind of bombs completely in terms of his performances. And uh, if you do have to sell him in a couple of years, then you'll probably be able to get some decent money from him. And the potential upside of it is that he stays for like five, six, however many years and does a perfectly adequate job at centre-back. I take it. <laughs> you know, it sounds good. So all in all, I mean, it sounds like you're you're pretty upbeat on this. And that's what I was hoping yeah. to get from you. Yeah, I mean, you just overall, pretty good. No problems. Yeah, like a solid like six or seven out of ten. Okay, I would take that. And um, I mean, I know, I know it's not why we have you on here, but like, Three years from now, Saliba, Gabrielle, center back partnership. You'd be okay with that? You think that could that could be something special? Could be. I mean <laughs> it's not 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 as encouraging as I hoped. Well, it it depends um what the rest of the team is like. Like a lot of people don't like the, when when you look at kind of those champion win championship winning teams, there's always a couple of players that you wonder um how did they get into this team? And so, yeah, it, they they could be really good, but also even if they are really good, it can it might not matter if the rest of the team isn't very good, or if the rest of the team is really great and they're only kind of adequate, then that might still be enough. Yeah, look, I mean, maybe we'll just start scoring four or five goals a game, and it won't matter who we have playing defensively. So exactly, we could always go that way. And then we <clears throat> could sell one of Saliba or Gabriel and just. Buy another striker, score five, six goals a game. Go back to the Arsene Banger approach. Um, Mark, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, one of the things about asking the right questions in an interview setting like this is sort of understanding the player and understanding the issues, which I don't. So I appreciate you sort of nursing me through it. Uh, Mark is on Twitter at everyteam underscore Mark. Uh, he, you can find his analytics work at times for uh, 23 Sport, although I don't know if you can actually find it because I don't know that it's uh, publicly available. So I take back what I've just said. But regardless, uh, Mark, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I hope we get to do it again. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Yeah, well, there you go. So that's uh, that's a podcast for you, everybody. Uh, certainly can sign up on Patreon, and we've got a couple of uh, uh, additional episodes coming, including a mailbag. Next week, we will have our season prediction over Underpod, which will have some listener involvement, and uh, we're going to memorialize it so at the end of the season we can find out how right we were, or in some people's cases, how wrong they were, although I'm sure there won't be anyone who's wrong about anything. So uh, international break, just what we wanted, but you know what? The, the new season is somehow... Uh, just about upon us, so we can't wait for that. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Full of notes. <laughs>